Welcome to the UFC Ultimate Faithful Catholics. My name is Jesse Romero. We are your spiritual fitness trainers. And I am on duty. Terry, what about you? I'm on duty, but I like it when you say you're the Latin lover of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And I'm the Lebanese lover of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that's who we love, Jesus. We want the whole world to know about Jesus. Jesse, you've got uh, some good shows, good topics here. We've, uh, we've got welcome you back today. And Paul Clay did a fantastic job while you were gone. God bless Paul. Uh, but we have a topic about Bishop uh, Athanasius Snyder. He has a message for the Holy Father. And he's asking him to do him a favor, and I, I would agree with him. Also, we're going to talk about Spain, uh, because in the country of Spain, they're suggesting that <clears throat> we start changing our approach to the coronavirus and, de- and deal with it like the flu and get back to work. Well, what a novel idea. Also, we're going to cover a very interesting question about can priests change the church's practice on kneeling? We get that asked all the time. And Jesse... Bishop Sheen has a very, very special writer on the train today, and his quote is so apropos, you won't want to miss that. Before we get out to all of this, I will say uh, my voice is a little uh, rattled, Jesse. I have to say this. Every day is a gift from God. This morning I was taking some pills, and I choked on it at at about 5 this morning, and uh, I had to run to the bedroom where my wife was still in bed and give me a little push on uh, kicking it up because I was choking. And I realized that that could have been, you know, way I go. I, I would have checked out early because I couldn't. So it affected my breathing and now my, my voice. But it, I just want to mention, it was a wake-up call for me, Jesse, on how fragile life is. I could get hit by a truck going home today, any of us. And this is why the urgency of living in the state of grace is essential for any committed Christian Catholic. So, Jess, let's get some of that gospel food into our soul. We call it soul food. Gospel of Mark, <coughs> chapter 1, verses 21 yep. to 28. And the, and the whole gospel today is about the issue of authority. This is, oh, everything, yeah. in the, this is everything in the Christian life, and this mm-hmm. is what a lot of people just don't understand. Luther didn't understand it. Calvin, the Protestants... Liberal Catholics, progressives, they don't understand this either. Anarchists, Antifa, BLM. I mean, the list goes on. This is everything in life weighs upon this issue if you understand the proper juridical authority which comes from God. So here goes. Okay. Jesus came to Capernaum. By the way, that's where Peter lived. He lived in Peter's house when he left his parents' house in Nazareth. And on the Sabbath, that Saturday, he entered the synagogue and taught. So the synagogue is the kind of the first half of the Novus Ordo Mass, where you have the liturgy of the Word. The second half of the Novus Ordo Mass, the liturgy of the Eucharist, that would be the temple sacrifice. So G- Jesus Christ here is going into the liturgy of the Word. The people were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Now, why were they fascinated? Because everybody knew that Jesus Christ was a comp- carpenter. He was not trained in the temple of Jerusalem as a Levite, as a scribe, as a lawyer, as a Pharisee. And so they're saying, how how does this blue-collar carpenter's son and carpenter himself, how does he teach like this with such erudition and such authority? Mm. That's why they marveled at his words, because they're saying he has no formal education. Right. They continued. In their synagogue was the man with an unclean spirit. That means a demon is called an unclean spirit in the New Testament. So he's possessed. He cried out, What have you come to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? 
I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So this, the, the demon inside the possessed person recognized immediately who Jesus Christ was. He knew that he was more than a prophet. He knew that he was more than a man, more than a carpenter. It continues. Jesus rebuked him and said, Quiet, come out of him. So five words. Rebuke is a sharp reply where you, uh, where you push back verbally. That's, that's what a rebuke is. The unclean spirit, that's a demon, convulsed him with a loud cry, came out of him. Uh, that's what happens generally when demons are exiting a person who's diabolically afflicted. The person will be on the floor, either on their stomach or on their back, and they'll convulse. It almost looks like a grand mal seizure, but that's the demons leaving the body. Same reaction. It says, All were amazed and asked one another, What is this? A, a new teaching with authority? Again, that whole question of authority that Luther and modernists and liberals get wrong. They don't understand authority or, or and they disobey it outright. He commands even the unclean spirits and they obey him. Those are demons. His fame spread everywhere throughout the whole region of Galilee, the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. So why did his fame spread across all, all of Galilee? It's because the Jews... They had a tradition that when the Messiah sent from God, sent from Yahweh, came from heaven to earth, that the Jews, that one of the, one of the, the attributes that they knew about the Messiah is that he would be able to drive out demons. And so the fact that this carpenter, this blue collar young man is driving out demons, that's a messianic sign that he may be the Messiah right. because the Messiah will speak with the authority of Yahweh. And so this is why uh, there was so much controversy surrounding the Lord Jesus Christ. Controversy hasn't stopped. Uh, and we as Catholics, by the way, have a mandate to stand against the, the diabolical. That's why February 11th, 12th, and 13th, I'm uh, hosting a, a pro <laughs> protesting a satanic conference out here in Scottsdale, Arizona. <coughs> it's, it's a lay movement of lay men and lay, lay women. And uh, we are going to go out there for three hours from 12 to 3 p.m., the time when our Lord Jesus Christ was dying for our sins and redeeming the world on the cross and His blood was being shed on Calvary, we will join our prayers those three days and those three hours with the blood of Jesus that mystically flows from Calvary and our and our prayers are going to travel uh, downstream with power like, mm -hmm. like on the Colorado River, like having a, a canoe in the Colorado. Our prayers are going to flow at the time when Christ, His blood was flowing downstream for the redemption of the world. And so that's a strategical airstrike on our part here. Uh, anybody in Phoenix, Arizona, we invite you. Uh, further information to follow. I'm putting out a landing page next week where you can go and get all that information. And also, even if you can't make it, you could unite in prayer from that Absolutely. 12 noon hour to 3. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Jesse, I want to bring in the smartest guy in the room. That's Archbishop. Full steam ahead. He has a special guest, Jess, one of our favorite saints, St. Saint John Chrysostom. And here's what he says. It's typical, and it fits right into the gospel about fear. <clears throat> the uh, saint says, Do not fear conflict, and do not flee from it. Where there is no struggle, there is no virtue. <clears throat> Where faith and love are not tempted, it is not possible to be sure they are really present. They are proved and revealed in adversity. Jesse, great advice for the church today, because let's face it. There's a lot of fear in the church right now, and that's not of God. 
Yeah, you're right, Terry. There's a lot of fear in the culture and even within the church. And I hate I hate to say it to break people's hearts, but I need to tell you yeah. that I just received a call from the Diocese of Phoenix. They've pulled out of the protests, so it's going to be a lay movement only. Are you kidding me? They gave, they gave me no reason. Well, I was told by the, the highest official, the highest channels of the Diocese of Phoenix that, Jesse, we don't want to give publicity to the Satanists, and that's what they want. They want to, you know, they want to just grab airtime and grab publicity. So it's better if we don't show up as Catholics, and it's better maybe if we stay inside the churches and just pray within the churches, but don't give them any publicity. And I told uh, the highest of the the, the the official channels of the diocese, with all due respect, uh, I agree with what you're saying. There should be people praying in all the churches Absolutely, of the diocese. The world. Yeah, uh, from 12 to 3 p.m. Uh, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Right. But that doesn't preclude a visible presence on the sidewalk because there has to be Catholics making public reparation because a public evil is taking place in Scottsdale, California. And so Catholics need to make public reparation because without a doubt, many of the Satanists that are going to be doing hexes, curses, incantations, yeah. uh, sex magic, and a black mass in there, many of them are falling away Catholics. Oh, absolutely. At, at the very least, we have to pray for the grace of their reconversion back to the faith. And we also have to stand out there and be a visible sign and pray so that their hexes and curses, our prayers will block and basically obfuscate and sabotage their hexes and curses so they have no effect upon the Catholics or the, the good people in Scottsdale. I would give the diocese a suggestion to quote Bishop John Chrysostom about do not fear conflict and do not flee from it. And that quote would be an appropriate one for them to think about that because, you know, Jesse, I get the idea <clears throat> that certain people, uh, there's different roles the church plays, okay? Not everybody's an evangelist. Not everybody's a teacher. The Bible says all that. Yes. But you know what? <clears throat> there are people that have to fight on the front line. And that's what that is. When you're going out there and praying those prayers at this event, you're on the front line. And there's definitely a need for that. So I I'm humbly would say I think they made a mistake. I think that uh, the church is big. There are people that will pray in church, but they're also called to be out in the front line. And Jess, you've been in the front line for 30, 40 years. So uh, thanks for not backing down on this. Nothing's going to change. I know. Uh, with, with all due respect yeah. to my, to, you know, to my superiors. Yeah. Uh, they uh, again, it's this is the lay movement only. If they don't want to show up, I covet their prayers. Uh, and and as uh, Saint Thomas More told the King Henry the Eighth, he says, <laughs> "I am a faithful servant of my bishops, but I am a faithful servant of God first. When we come back, Jesse Bishop Athanasius Snyder. Said this has done something that not many bishops are willing to do. I can guarantee it. He's asking the Holy Father to rescind on something. When you come back, we'll get to tell you what it is. But I love the way he says it because he's inviting the Pope to do this. Terry, I think we should take about two segments on this. This is <laughs> this is not a one segment issue. <laughs> Whatever you think, brother. Hey, you're listening to the Terry and Jesse Show, folks. We're too blessed to be stressed. We're too anointed to be disappointed. And if hope was money. Man, both of us would be billionaires because our hope is in Jesus Christ. Stay with us, family. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. It's great to see that people around the world, Terry, are pushing back. Oh, yeah. 
In the country of Spain, they're suggesting a radical endemic, not yeah, a pandemic, like not a scandemic, endemic, not a pandemic, like end this demic. Yeah, that's right. That's the approach they want to Omicron. Yeah. They just want to treat it like the flu because uh, uh, the Spanish Prime Minister, Pedro Sanchez, who functions like a president for us. Right. He's the Prime he says, Minister. Yeah, he's asking, is it time to treat COVID like the flu? And essentially, the leader of Spain's government on Monday became the first leader of a major European country to call on the European Union to debate the possibility of treating COVID-19 as an endemic illness akin to the flu. Yep. That comes around every single year. Yep. We're, we don't all hide every year when there's a flu. <laughs> we just deal with it as Americans. Exactly. And, you know, some people die. Very few people die. But guess what? It was their time to die. It was already in God's in, in the Lamb's book of life. And so uh, it's good to see that Spain is taking the lead on this. Uh, Spain's push could also run into resistance, obviously, from the European countries facing higher vaccine hesitancy like German Germany and, and, and France. And again, some of the other countries that I think that have that have more of a leftist socialist bent. But uh, but it's good to see that Spain, uh, their health minister, they're pushing back. The prime minister's pushing back. And this is going to be a huge boon to all of us, uh, Terry, yeah. that realize that this is, as Dennis Prager says, it'll be the greatest. Uh, That's right. You know, it'll scam. Be, That's what I call yeah, it. the greatest scam yeah. that we've ever been through in, yeah. in our lifetime. I agree, Jesse. So I'm, I'm glad that Spain is pushing back. God bless them. God, and, you know, Jesse, that ties into our little story about a three year old girl who died of a heart attack one day after taking the covid vaccine. I think people remember last Tuesday, a week ago, we buried an 11-year-old boy, because he also got vaccinated because he couldn't go to school without being vaccinated. Same thing with this little girl, and they're dead. And this is in Argentina. Uh, now, they're, last year, they made it so that every child over the age of three, by the end of 2021, would have to be vaccinated. And I say this, Jesse, I, I really say, Dad, Mom, protect the kids. Tell them to go pound sand. You're not going to inject... Some vaccine that you don't even have any guarantee of what it is or a guarantee that it won't hurt your child or even kill your child. It's, that's too much of a risk. There's far less risk of your child dying by, the vac- by, uh, by COVID-19 and any of the variances as they mutate. They're getting weaker and weaker. Let's be honest. This is an overreach by the government. Terry, here's something interesting from a theological point okay. of view, from a from a biblical worldview, because that's that's where that's we come what we up have, with. yeah, yeah, that's what we that's our that's our yep. wheelhouse. Yep. Uh, it, notice notice the area where this is attacking the human race. It attacks men, yeah. generally young men, in their heart. Right. Hey, just so think about that a second. All those athletes. Who, yeah. Now, on a spiritual realm. Who's the one that wants to attack the man's heart and make it wicked and evil and base and dark Satan. and lustful? There you go. That's a simple Sa- answer. Satan attacks the human heart. <clears throat> I don't think Lust. it's a coincidence that these uh, vaccines attack the physical heart. Uh, now, I see the now, connection. Now, here's, the, here's my next connection. What's, what is this vaccine attacking in women? Their fertility. Exactly. I was gonna... Specifically, young women yeah. are not able to have babies. They become infertile. Yeah. 
So what is it that Satan attacks in a woman? Her reproductive parts. A, either he wants the, her, the women to misuse them, uh, like you know, Playboy penthouse and hustler style, or B, if they do get pregnant and they're going to conceive a baby, to kill it. And so this, this, uh, these vaccines, these mRNA injections, let's call them what they are, yeah. attack a woman's fertility. Satan attacks a woman right in the reproductive parts to have her misuse those parts to draw a man's heart into lust. Is it a coincidence that these vac these mRNA injections attack the areas physically that the devil attacks spiritually? And Jesse, one more added note, because this is the first time you've shared this with me and our audience, and I think you're spot on. But I also want to say that uh, when it comes to conception, the woman can't carry the baby. So there's an abortifacient that takes place. Again, what's, who, who loves to see all that? Satan. He doesn't want to see life. He now, I'm not, I'm not going to take credit for this. I had a conversation with a very smart, smart priest, Dr. Dave Nix. Yeah, and he was the one, he's the one that uh, yeah, brought that up. It brought that up to me. And I said, Father, this makes complete oh, yeah. sense. Yeah, it does, Jess. Yeah. And, and, and again, we just, I mean, look at, look at the country of Norway, okay? They never closed their schools. They, they never told the students or the teachers like they're doing in Chicago, we, we're not going to go back and teach. We'll, we'll die from the COVID. Not one uh, teacher died in the whole time, we, these two years of COVID in Norway. Why? They said, no, we'll just deal with it. If it's the flu, I mean, it's like the, we're not going to, uh, we, we're going to continue because the downside is greater uh, uh, the COVID, what we call the collateral damage from this is greater than the, uh, the, the, uh, the uh, what do you call it? The, uh, back, not vaccine, the, but the, the, the infections. Yeah. yeah, the infection. Oh, yeah. So here's the point I'm making. The point I'm making is we're starting to use common sense right now, Jesse, because before what we were doing is we were overreacting to say, oh, oh, oh you're going to die with this. And we look at 99.9% of the people survive. And we don't even get people think just the opposite. If you get COVID, oh, you're dead, Jesse. And, and Terry, it's just again the devil's playing on our fear, like he played on Adam's fear in the, in the very beginning. And and uh, it's good to see that Spain is pushing back. Yeah, the prime on, minister, man. they're saying, you know what, Terry, they're gaslighting us, even with the name Omicron. It's, it sounds like some transformer robot you know, that the kids <laughs> watch. Omicron. Yeah. They, they're gaslighting us because <laughs> when, if you scramble those words, yeah. you can actually spell moronic. They're saying these human beings are moronic because they believe all of this. Uh, what does gaslighting mean? It means when somebody tries to have you question your own sanity. They want you to question to say, oh, no, this is... This is not a globalist, uh, you know, end of population type of program. That can't be true. I can't. I can't listen to voices that say that. We got to trust the the doctors. We got to trust Fauci. We got to trust the FDA. Uh, this this can't be some some type of a you know depopulation program. Not a chance. Not. A, I got to reject those thoughts. The, we. I got to trust Biden. I got to trust Fauci. That's called gaslighting. That's yeah. what they're doing to us. Scare. Jesse. This next section we have a couple <laughs> minutes to talk. Yeah, go about. ahead. Very important. I want you to. Because you're the one who picked this out, and it's about can priests change the church practice on kneeling? Well, about 30 years ago, our archbishop, I'll say who it is, Cardinal Mahoney, he decided after the Agnus Dei that we were no longer going to kneel. Everybody stand. 
But I want to answer this question because some churches, Jesse, you've been in them where you go into it. They don't even have kneelers. Let's make it quick. We got a few hit minutes. It, hit it, Jesse. So oh. can can priests cha- uh, can priests change the church the church's practice on kneeling? Here's the answer. Yeah, sure. The answer. answer is your priest has no authority right. whatsoever to disobey the liturgical laws of the church. That's what church? Yep. His job is to enforce the liturgical laws in your parish. <laughs> that is part of what he is by the church to do, not to reject and disobey them. The priest does not have the authority. He does not, but he does have the authority, let's say, on special occasions to suspend the practice of kneeling. Like, for example, if the sanctuary is so overcrowded at the Easter vigil, there's no room to kneel. Right. But he has no authority whatsoever to jettison the church's liturgical law concerning kneeling on a regular or permanent basis. There you go. Not even the bishop has the authority to do this. Only the National Conference of Catholic Bishops, subject to ratification by the Vatican, can do this. And the U.S. bishops and the Vaticans have not done that here. So what you're you're reading in the Missalettes concerning kneeling through through not just just up to the beginning of the Great Amen, this is the liturgical law for the United States, and this is the policy of the U.S. uh, NCCB and the Vatican. So concerning the statement that's in the liturgical manuals that uh, or, or, or this question, this person asked a question about, uh, well, the priest told me that by kneeling, you're you're overemphasizing, uh, you know, he, we don't want you to emphasize your unworthiness. Oh, OK, well, two points need to be made. Yeah, that's not what first, the Bible says. first. There's a difference between unworthiness because the liberals say, well, the reason we don't want you to kneel is because we don't want you to emphasize or overemphasize your unworthiness. So the, the answer is, is number one, there's a difference between unworthiness and reverence. One may kneel before a king like King Jesus out of reverence. And second, we do not want to emphasize our unworthiness uh, before the all-holy God, King Jesus Christ, which is why we say during the Mass, Lord... I am not, uh, I I am not uh, worthy to receive you. Uh, notice we don't say, Lord, I'm not unworthy. unworthy no, no, we don't say, we Lord, say, I'm not unworthy. Exactly. We say, Lord, I'm not worthy to receive you. To which we add the acclamation of God's power to cleanse us spiritually, but only say the word, and I shall be healed. Now, if you want further information or assistance on these flagrant liturgical abuses. There's a great Catholic organization that's been around for decades fighting these battles. They're called the St. Joseph Foundation of San Antonio, Texas. You can contact them on the internet or email them. They are experts in ensuring Catholics are guaranteed their canonical and liturgical rights, including the right to have the church's liturgy celebrated properly. And I might add, Jesse, that this is this kind of contact that uh, bishops and priests have decided to do on their own authority has undermined the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist. Big. Why do I say that? Well, the same reason is because people who want to stand uh, at the Agnus Dei or they want they want to stand when you receive Holy Communion. There's reverence that we have to have for the Christ's presence in the Eucharist. When we kneel at the communion rail, what else? What other food do you eat where you're kneeling? Nothing. How about standing? Oh, I stand all the time and I eat a hot dog or a burger or I drink a Coke. No, this is bad theology, but it, it affects the practice of people's belief in the real presence, and it has to stop. And we have the rights to call the priest on it 
by asking him, please implement what the church teaches, not your personal opinion. So this is a very important topic, which is when we're so, you know, what actions we take place. And again, even communion in the hand, I'll say it right now, that experiment has been a total disaster. <laughs> no, really, Jess, let's be honest. I remember when it took place. It's a disaster. People think, I've, I, I've been going around for 40 years asking people at parishes, what do you believe about the real presence of Christ in the Eucharist? And 90% of the people they think it's a cookie. don't even think it's real, that what it is. They have no idea. Old they just and young. think it's a cracker, yeah. Terry. And this is why, you know, coming to our Anglican Ordinariate Mass, we kneel for Holy Communion. It's only on the tongue. And I just think that that's what's going to take it to bring it back to reverence and people can believe in the real presence. So actions speak louder than words. Hey, Jess, what do we got when we come back, brother? Terry, we're going to talk about Bishop Athanasius Snyder. He's inviting Pope Francis to rescind the canonical provisions contained in Traditionis Custodis. We'll be right back. Oh, Don't boy. That Stay with us, folks. This is the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888 888- Five two six two one five one. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. We are back. Uh, two Catholic spiritual fitness trainers. Terry, you've been fighting these liturgical wars oh, for God. decades. Yeah. Man. <laughs> you got rug burns, Terry. I well, mean, when well, I you, met you, you were fighting these battles. Well, you know what, Jesse? Back in the late 70s, Father Peter Stravinskis wrote an article in the National Catholic Register about the evil of communion in the hand and why... Uh, it shouldn't be done. And I made like 10,000 you know, copies. I went to a printer and I stuck them <laughs> into churches. I was like 20 years old. I didn't know a lot, but I do knew that. I did know that this was not a good thing. And now here it is 40 years, 45 years later, and I haven't changed my mind. I've seen no, you it. Haven't. It's just bad. But just I want to set everybody to know, realize that Bishop Athanasius Snyder is an expert on the fathers of the church. That's where he did his dissertation. The community he belongs to, the Holy Cross Fathers, Opus Angelorum, the work of the angels, he's the number one guy in the order when it comes to the teachings on the fathers. He's an expert. He's, he's done such great work. And so he's going to tie this in to some of the fathers. But just let, what, what exactly is the Pope, what is exactly is, is Bishop Athanasius inviting the Pope to rescind again on? Well, this just came out yesterday, so this is fresh off yeah, the press. Right Bishop on. Athanasius Snyder is inviting Pope Francis to rescind. Yep, that means to take back yep. the canonical provisions contained in Traditionis Cadodis. Custodis. Yeah. And in response, and in the responsa a dubia issued by the Congregation for Divine Worship and the Discipline of the Sacraments, sacraments just before Christmas. Uh, so the Bishop of St. Mary in Astana, Kazakhstan, who understands communism and, and Marxism. They lived in it. Yep. He's also calling on his brother bishops to voice publicly and frankly their deep concerns about these documents in keeping with the, with the uh, sensi- sensitivity of synodality. <laughs> so in a reflection titled, The Duty of the Roman Pontiff to Restore Liturgical Peace, Bishop Schneider asserts that a spiritual wound has been inflicted on the, on the mystical body of Christ through the publication of these documents and that the Roman church's entire ancient liturgical patrimony is under threat. He's on spot. He's right. I can see it here in Phoenix, Arizona, because there's two FSSP parishes here mm-hmm. and there's about a dozen churches that do the Latin mass. 
and people are up in arms here, Terry. Oh yeah, they're they're picking up their pitchforks and torches, and they're, they want to run Frankenstein out of town. They're trying to find who Frankenstein is. But the article says the overwhelming majority of lay faithful and clergy attached to the traditional Roman rite keep far away from ecclesial and liturgical polemics, and they deserve and pray they, for the Pope. They respect, and for their they respect the Pope. Yeah, respect yeah. and pray. Well, go ahead. Yep, yep. Uh, they, uh, it says they only ask for the right to be able to continue to live that's fully. Not, that's not asking much, is it? No. The liturgical patrimony in which they... And generations of young Catholics have grown up, which is the Latin, the Latin Mass, uh, pre-1965, a rite which the Apostolic See guaranteed during the two previous pontificates. Well said. So it's not some. Uh, we're not. Bishop Schneider's not asking the Holy Father for something that the last two popes haven't conceded to. Right, Je- Jesse. Just the the CDW Prefect Archbishop Arthur Roach recently contested and belittled the idea that any injury has been inflicted on the clergy and the faithful. Let, let's have him talk to some parents with kids. But he, this was right in the National Catholic Register shortly after the release. Now, the liturgical possibilities are in place. The challenge is to get on with it without licking one's wound <laughs> when no one has been injured. Wow, that's easy for him to say. Go ahead, Jess. Archbishop talks he's, more. He's, he's like, I'm sorry. I got, I, I like that guy, like, what planet is he on? Yeah, talk about uh, being completely insensitive to, to the flock. What what whatever happened with you're supposed to accompany not with this the flock and you're supposed to get dirty, you know, yeah. with, with the smell of the sheep. Yeah. So Archbishop Roche, who has sought to paint Samorum Pontificum as a failed experiment, you know what side of the fence he's on? <clears throat> Modernism. You think? You think. And made factually untrue claims about Pope Benedict XVI's motive, motives for promulgating it. Mm-hmm. Of course, picking on a 95-year-old man who can't defend himself at this point. Yep. Uh, Archbishop, Rope also, Archbishop Roche also dismissed accusations that the restrictions have not been carried out in a synodal way, saying synodal means walking together, <laughs> which is the precise purpose of the motu proprio expressing the direction in which the work, the church, is to walk in its prayer. How exactly that direction was determined remains unclear amid reports that the consultation of bishops on which Traditionis Custodis was based, pointing to continuing with a prudent and careful application of Pope Benedict XVI's Sumorum Pontificum. Jesse, the next part is what I really like the way he did it. Bishop Schneider also urged Pope Francis to imitate the early church father, St. Irenaeus of Lyons, whom Francis will soon proclaim a doctor of the church Ooh. with the special title, Dr. Eutitus, and promote liturgical peace with the many Catholics who have been marginalized through the promulgation. Jesse, continue, because the Holy Father is getting, Bishop Schneider is actually using the principles he's promoting to deal with this, and I, I, I like his approach because he's really calling them out in a nice way. I think a beautiful yeah, way. It, yeah, if the, Pope is, if the Pope is going to make uh, this father of the church, St. Irenaeus of yeah. Leon, if he's going to proclaim him a doctor of, u- of unity. Yeah, follow his example. <laughs> a, a doctor of unity, right. and this document, Traditionis Custodis, given by the Holy Father, is a doctrine 
of of disunity. Yep. In the second century, St. Irenaeus intervened to talk to Pope Victor I out of schism with the bishops of Asia Minor. I didn't know this. Over the date of Easter. Okay. Contrary to Victor's, Pope Victor's wishes, bishops and faithful there wanted to keep their Easter tradition. Leading Pope Victor to declare churches and parishes holding that position heterodox and therefore excommunicated. In response, the bishops sharply rebuked Pope Victor, as did St. Irenaeus who, according to Eusebius of Caesarea, quote, fittingly admonished the Pope and warned him not to cut off whole churches of God, which observed the tradition of an ancient custom. <laughs> I love that, this. Thus, Irenaeus, writes Eusebius of Caesarea, the great church historian of the 4th century, thus Irenaeus, who truly was well-named, became a peacemaker in this matter, exhorting and negotiating... Yep. In this way, on behalf of the peace of the churches, close quote, some scholars believe that Pope Victor backed down on the excommunications due to the saints' intervention, allowing the bishops of Asia to retain their tradition without hindrance. And the issue was later resolved at the Council of Nicaea in 325 A.D. In his reflection, Pope, Pope Bishop, I mean Bishop Schneider maintains that in light of St. Irenaeus' witness and the example set by St. John Paul II and Pope Benedict XVI, who, by the way, is still alive. Yep. Talk about uh, a, a rebuke to you, the Pope who's still alive. Can't even wait till he's dead. Pope Francis should listen to the voice of the lay faithful seminarians and priests attached to the, to the Roman Church's ancient rites and guarantee their established right to worship according to all the liturgical books of the Roman Rite that were in use until the recent liturgical reform. Terry? Yeah, Jesse, I just want to mention... Uh, where Pope Francis to act with such uh, charity and pastoral humility, he concludes, nothing would be lost, everything would be gained, and the God of peace would be with him and with all the faithful, quoting Philippians chapter 4, verses 8. I just want to throw one more thing, because this has the actual letter that he actually wrote to the Holy Father. Jesse, let's be honest. The last 50 years, we've seen liturgical abuses out uh, Everywhere, everything from I witnessed priests wearing just a, cha a, 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 a stole and gym shorts saying mass when I was a teenager up in the mountains and telling me to write my sins on a rock and throw it down the canyon. OK, all these liturgical problems. Nobody. I, I think it's a legitimate question to ask the Holy Father, Jesse, and that is for the unity of the church. Can we have some unity with the mass? In other words, with, whether it's the Novus Ordo Mass or the Extraordinary Form of the Mass, the Trinitine Mass, can people just stick to the rubrics? A lot of these problems would go away, but what's happened is every priest has his own style of saying Mass. Every priest can say, oh, well, in our church, we're going to do it this way. No, it's called a universal act of worship. It's the Mass. Stick to the rubrics. And I want to say one last thing before I know we get to this other segment, and that is... When you read Vatican II documents, and it says the mass, the, po the priest turns around and says, the Lord be with you in Latin or English, uh, that's indicating that the priest isn't facing you. He's facing God. <laughs> and so when this whole thing comes up about Vatican II, I say, will the real Vatican II please stand up? Because unfortunately, what the Holy Father is, is really promoting is a not Vatican II documents, but after Vatican II, all the liberals, I'm sorry, Jesse, liberals trying to tell me that the Mass is not a sacrifice. I met priests like that. They say, oh, yeah, Vatican II did away with that. 
not read the documents. This is the point I want to ask everybody to do. Read Vatican II documents like Jesse and myself have read and show me the document on the liturgy that says, uh, well, like things like that people are supposed to know their parts of the Mass in Latin. Okay, where's that being implemented, hierarchy of our church? I'm just asking, why? Because I'm Joe Sixpack, but I want to see Vatican II's document on the liturgy actually implemented. And I met the man who was Abbot Boniface Lukey. I met well, why him. Why don't you tell us about him? Well, the guy was, before, during, and after the council, he was working with Bunini, who's a, a Mason, Freemason, and he even said that, and then we found that out later. So the point of it is, Abbot Boniface said to me in 1993, that if the fathers of the Vatican II saw the Mass today, they wouldn't recognize it. <laughs> Jesse, I'm just telling you, that's an eyewitness. And he worked before, during, and after the council. And what happened is he told me the Vatican II was hijacked on the liturgy after the council because Bunini got this thing through Pope Paul VI, and it was a disaster. Those were his words, Jess. All Harry, right. the, just for Catholics that want to know, the word rubrics, yeah. th this is how a priest is supposed to pray the sacred liturgy. It's called rubrics. Yeah. Do the red and say the black. It's in a book. All the red, they're supposed to do the red and say the black. That's if people want to hear that recording of Abbot Boniface, three-hour recording, call 877-526-2151. That'll be a real wake-up call, man. Wow. When we come back, more with the Terry and Jesse Show on Virgin Most Powerful Radio. Welcome back to the Terry and Jesse Show. To join the conversation, call 888-526-2151. Now, here's Terry and Jesse. Terry, just want a little sidebar comment. All you right, brother. You said You sent me an article here about coldest air of the season to yeah, send did. midwest northeast in a deep freeze and i know why you sent it because yeah i do the the left the progressives yeah. they're always saying the earth is gonna end in 12 years because it's getting too hot yeah the earth is uh, ocasio cortez yeah uh the for uh the al gore i mean the list goes on you have a lot of People that are influential in powerful p positions that are saying that the earth is getting too hot and we're going to die because it's getting too hot. Yeah. Yet, Terry, this article you sent I me. I thought you'd like it. <laughs> you, you, you know, Jesse, Dennis Prager, again, we respect him. He's a, a very <laughs> fellow, tra fellow traveler. He is, but he's a Jewish man. Yeah. But he has a, a Ph.D. in common sense. Oh, and he gosh. points out where in the world is this? Uh, <laughs> this climate change, why can't we have a discussion? But you know what, Jesse? The same thing that's happening now, people who have strong opinions on COVID or any of these things, they're getting taken off uh, social media, and that's just how it works now. We can't have a dialogue because they don't want to hear the facts, and that's what's so nice about Virgin Most Powerful Radio, Jesse. You remember four years ago, we were on a national radio broadcast, and we were being reprimanded because we said things that uh, oh. were offending some bishops. Yeah, we were taken off a of relevant radio. Yeah, that's a fact. Yeah. Um, again, just uh, we're just being Terry and Jesse. Just uh, people can't be that anybody just. Else. I mean, no, we have to be ourselves. We have to speak the truth and charity. Uh, we have to speak the fullness of the faith, the perennial teachings of the church. We can't water nothing down. We're not modernists. We're just simple, faithful Catholics that uh, love our faith, love the Lord, love our Lady. And we don't want to go to hell. And you know what happens if you if you openly tell lies 
and you uh, and and you put out a lukewarm message, you'll go to hell. I don't want to go to hell. Trust me. And I know Terry doesn't either. And, and that's why we have a moral obligation to speak. And we, I always quote Jesse, and you heard me quote this so many times. You're you're sick of me quoting Pope Felix the <laughs> Third. No, it's true. I, I get it because I say, but, but you know what, Jess? It's true. We have sins of omission when we don't. I'll, I'll give you another quote. Okay. Uh, this is uh, another quote. <clears throat> The, this is from Pope Pius Twelfth, and I think it should inspire us. The yeah. accusations of the oppressive rigidity made against the church by the new morality and reality attacks the first place, the adorable person of Jesus Christ. So why do I say this, Jess? Because that's what's happening right now. Any kind of person that wants tradition, wants the uh, perennial teachings of the church, we're poo-pooed on that. And what Pope Felix III said back in the 5th century... He said it, and so we can't, I mean, he's a saint. He says, not to oppose error is to approve it, and not to defend truth is to suppress it, and indeed, to neglect to confound evil men when we can do it is no less a sin than to encourage them. Jesse, I had a very holy priest tell me the most popular sin that's going on in this world. I thought, well, is it, is it lust? He said, no, it's sins of omission. We're too quiet. What? In other words, the church is that not speaking. That makes, that makes Do you sense. get it, Jess? Wow, that's that yeah. was a, a, a eye opener for me. Well, I that's kinda... an indictment, Terry. That, that that goes back to the spiritual works of mercy, where we're told yeah, uh, we're supposed to instruct the ignorant, yeah. ignorant, advise the doubtful. What it says, uh, and and again, this is this is part and parcel of evangelization. Uh, Terry, just want to mention something about. We're going back to the topic of the of the mass. Yeah, and absolutely. and and I know that's 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 what we we love to talk about. Absolutely. And, and Bishop Schneider, who's sticking up for all the people that have that have this uh, that this love. Real love for the for the traditional Latin mass. I, I go to both, and so I don't consider my, like there are people that I know, like my friend Taylor Marshall, good friend of mine. Uh, he's a Latin mass only guy. Yep. I get that. I get that. Michael Matt. Uh, Latin mass only. I get that. That that's where they feel that that uh, they're they're being uh, fed, built built up and yeah, fed and, sure. and, and 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 catechized. I, I, my position, I tell people, I'm a Latin mass preferential, but not. A, I'm not a Latin mass only guy. I can. I thanks be to God that here in the diocese of Phoenix, Arizona, you can find many, many, many parishes. That do a novus ordo mass that would make Father Fessio proud. Absolutely, you, yeah, you find that all over the. You do, yeah, and, and like, Terry, but the novus ordo mass, what it does do? Tell me, it it, it does lend itself to abuses of where course. the Latin mass doesn't. No, it's very rigid in the sense. Yeah, of this the mass that you do. go to is very rigid. Also, you you can't mess with the mass the no, Anglican ordinary either. No, but the novus ordo. Here's just some of the things that that I've seen in my 60 years of of, of living on yeah. planet Earth. Yeah, is uh, you know, you'll you'll find people, for example, uh, holding hands during the uh, during the Our Father. Mm-hmm. You know, you'll find people clapping. You know, during different parts of the mass. Yeah, like a, a, entertainment. Yeah, yeah after the, the the last the the last uh, recessional song, people are clapping at the choir. Yeah. People are raising their hands like the priests in different parts of the mass. You'll have you'll see people during the sign of peace. Sometimes they'll make a chain across the center aisle, holding hands. Yeah. Looks like kind of a uh, you know like a hippie fest. Uh, during the the sign of peace, you'll have this. 
I mean, it just breaks into a social hug fest in the church and it gets noisy. Yeah. Or or you'll see an army of extraordinary ministers of Holy Communion yep. pump, pumping the Perel and running around the sanctuary like little clerics with the key in their pocket to the tabernacle. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, receiving receiving in their hands or crossing their arms to get a blessing. Sometimes they get a blessing, Terry, from the lay person. I know. It's, in, it's, it's out of in violation of the it's, liturgical rubrics, a lay person can't yeah. bless another no, person in no, the mass. No, they're just, but they have been instructed. <laughs> this is a book by Cardinal Joseph Ratzinger, The oh, Spirit God. of the Liturgy. Okay. He's the one who said, when you go to mass and they start clapping, you know, they don't get it. That's what it says in this book. And so I would get this book from Ignatius Press because I, I think Father Festo said me, to me after 45 years of publishing books, this is the most important book they've published because it gets, sets you up for what Mass is. Now, I go to the Melkite Rite, Eastern Rite Mass. I love it. I go to the St. Charbel every 22nd of the month. Very reverent. I go to the Anglican Ordinariate Mass on Sundays here. Beautiful, very reverent. Daily Mass, I have a Novus Ordo Latin Mass. You know, the Mass of Vatican II. Remember I said Vatican II says we're supposed to know our parts of the Mass in Latin. And I actually go to an English Mass when I when that's all I have to go to. I go to them all. It is the Mass. All of them are above. Yes. But Jesse, to be quite frank, the idea of a liturgical language, I like the Latin Mass in Novus Ordo. And the reason is... is because it's a it's a sacred language yes. to worship God. I'm just gonna say it. That's that's why I think we really should go back. Two things I would do: add orientum, change yes. the uh, priest from facing you, Absolutely. so he's the entertainment guy, and that he's facing God. And I would also make the suggestion to have more parts of the mass in Latin and have more reverence. And I think people would understand the mass better and also have more reverence for Jesus Christ in the Blessed Sacrament, as Vatican II says. It's the source and summit of the Christian life. But I'm not in management, Jess. I'm in sales. Yeah. Same. That's right. Me neither. Now, to, to be honest with you, Terry. Tell me, Jess. What's going to elevate your soul oh, to, yeah. think, to think about God? Somebody strumming a guitar? No. And, 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 and singing, you know, Kumbaya. Protestant hymns? Yeah. Or hearing Gregorian chants oh, yeah. in the language of the church? And, and, you know, people don't think about this, uh, but remember when Jesus Christ, uh, the first mass was, uh, or, or the arc, the archetype of the first mass was consummated at Calvary in yeah. Latin, uh, by who Roman soldiers. Okay. Yep. It's, it's ministers. They went about their grueling business. They probably didn't know what they were doing, but they were all speaking in Latin at Calvary. Think about that, Terry. Good the, point. The, these Roman soldiers, as Christ is dying for the sins of the world, and some of them were looking at him and saying in Latin, not in English or Spanish, they were saying, uh, truly, this is the Son of God. Uh, they were making acts of faith in Latin at the foot of the cross. Wow. So th 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 that's a powerful connection. That is. And also, some of the Jews that came to faith were probably saying some antiphons, like you know, in in, in Hebrew, like "My Lord, like My Lord and My God, or oh, My yeah. Savior" in Hebrew. So, what was the? And then some people that just probably spoke Greek that were there at the foot of the cross were probably saying "Kyrie eleison," Lord have mercy. Can yeah. you see? So, so Terry at at Calvary, 
the three sacred languages yep. were being spoken by people all around the cross, Hebrew, Greek, and Latin. Nobody was speaking in Spanish or Chinese or Russian in English. Nope. No. And Jesse, let's be honest about it. the universal worship is the mass. If you're in China, if you're in Japan, if you're in Canada, if you're in America, South America, if the mass was in Latin, guess what, Jess? You're at home any one of those places. Yes. See that? And that's what was so beautiful about having a Latin mass. Now, someone just asked me, what the heck are you guys talking about? Novus Ordo. Novus Ordo mass is the mass of the uh, Vatican II. In that, 19, means, that means new order. New order. It was, new it order. was 1969, April 4th, when it was prom promulgated by Pope Paul VI. And so that's what that is. And we have the extraordinary form, which Benedict XVI calls, which would be the... Um, Trinitine Mass, okay? So now that we have those terms down, I hope that helps. But the big bottom line is get to Mass as often as you can. Amen. And even if it's a, a, a Mass that isn't done very properly and reverently, I found out that actions speak louder than words. You act reverent. If they ask everybody to come up and do jumping jacks up into the, uh, into the uh, sanctuary, you don't go. I've had that. They've asked me to come up. No, that's not my domain. And that's right. You know, those and, things happen. Yes, and, and Father Ripperger says that Hebrew, Greek, and Latin were affixed to the instrument of our salvation, the cross. That's why they're sacred. That's a John, good point. John 19, 19 to 20. I'll say it again. Hebrew, yeah. Greek, and Latin were the languages that, that stated Christ's name and his crime. They were affixed to the cross. The cross is the instrument of our salvation. Wow. That's why those three languages are sacred. What I just said is found in John chapter 19, verse 19 and 20. And, uh, and Terry, also, the Latin masses prayed around the world for centuries. That was the answer to the Tower of Babel, wow. to the confusion of languages, yeah, Father Ripperger says. That's so well said because, again, the universal worship of the mass, if we use all the same language, Latin, then we're all on the same page. But when we have all these different languages, it's confusing. Okay, I'm just talking on the practical aspect. Jesse, one plug more uh, for your uh, thing that's happening in Scottsdale, Arizona. One more plug before we go. Yeah, February 11th to 13th, Scottsdale, Arizona. Pray on those three days. Yep. We're going to be protesting against the Church of Satan. More to follow. I'm, do I'm, I'm building a landing page Excellent. for that event. Terry, go Excellent. ahead. One more quick note where we're going to talk about what state we should be living in because life is short and eternity is forever. Jess, what state should we be living in? Let's live in the state of grace. Uh, you're protected from the diabolical when you do so. Yep. Don't live in a state of mortal sin. When you're in a state of grace, your prayers are more powerful. When you're in a state of mortal sin, your prayers are not heard. Up next, Bishop, not, no, Bishop Joseph Strickland of Tyler, Texas. I'll be interviewing him. You won't want to miss what he has to say. Stay with us here on Virgin Radio.